Hello and welcome to episode number 17 of Earth Repair Radio. Where are you going? No food for you. No food for the family. And there's no job for you. So people are now aware of all these things. And they want to shift into organic farming and also permaculture way of farming. So I can tell you that there's a brighter future because people are now changing from this conventional system into permaculture or organic farming in Ghana. So I have a very big market for this product called Moringa. So I have about 10,000 farmers who are into Moringa. Hello, I'm your host, Andrew Milson, and today we've got a really special guest. We have Dr. Paul Yeboa. Paul is the founder of the Ghana Permaculture Institute, and he has worked tirelessly for years to use permaculture to promote uh, sustainable economic development for the rural populations within Ghana that he serves. Uh, he's got a lot of stories of his really excellent and very impactful work within his community and has a lot of proof of concept uh, for really improving the livelihoods of the people that he serves. So without further ado, let's listen to Dr. Paul Yeboa. Good morning, Paul. Morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I know it's afternoon over there in West yes, Africa. Yes, it's uh, afternoon. Yes, it's afternoon here. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about your good work. Um, let's start by, why don't you tell a little bit about your history working in permaculture and uh, what you're up to these days? My name is Paul Yeboah. Uh, I'm the founder of uh, Ghana Permaculture Institute, uh, which was established in the year 2009, and then um, re registered as an institute in the year 2011. Actually, uh, what I'm doing is um, to promote permaculture in Ghana and also beyond Ghana. And I have a, a demonstration site, which is um, 30 acres of land, where I'm using it as institute and also as demonstration in Ghana. And I'm trying to add more uh, value to the crops the farmers are growing and also sourcing funding, uh, uh, financial support, actually financial support to support the farmers in a rural area. Okay. Uh, about my history, I grew up in a very rural area in Ghana where my parents were doing traditional system of farming. But I went into conventional system of farming in school. So I was totally confused about what I was doing in school. So after my diploma, in tropical agriculture. I work with Catholic monastery. They have about um, 360 acres of land where I work as a farm manager. And they were having problem with the uh, soil. The soil was very acidic and alkaline. So the superior in the monastery from UK uh, told me that, oh Paul, what can we do to solve this um, soil acidity and soil alkalinity of the monastery soil. So 
we were doing more search and then we got to know Australian Permaculture Institute. Mm. So we contacted them and then Ben Morrison, the founder of um, Permaculture, told us that he's very old so he can't come to Ghana but uh, he will send somebody who is called Gregory Nips. So when he came, we did about three courses. But one of the courses for the monks and the workers who can read and write, and one also for the monks and the workers who cannot read and write, and also one for the communities around the monastery. So Greg was not all that good in tropical agriculture. Then I have to take him through about the tropical agriculture. And then he also speaks very fast. So I have to translate uh, English also into our local language so that a lot of people will understand the concept about permaculture. So at the end of the permaculture course at the monastery, the superior went to Rome and they brought another superior from Scotland. So when he came, he said, oh, permaculture is nonsense to do at the monastery. So they are going to use chemicals. They are going to use weedicide. Mm. And I said, oh, I can't, I can't work with you. So I sent my resignation letter to them. And they asked me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to work with the farmers. So I stopped working with them. And then from there, I started working with the farmers. I work with the farmers. In the morning, I take my water, I take my small motorbike, and I go to the farmers. And I was teaching them how to raise their own seedlings, how to do mulching, how to do raise their compost, and then how to mix the crops, and also educating them uh, effect of the campus uh, uh, with the farming work that we are doing in Ghana. So 2008, I got an email from Greek, and then he told me that he met uh, a friend from Germany who is working with what he called Eco Village Design Educational Course. So they are going to invite me to go to Germany for one month, uh, Eco Village Design Educational Course. So we contacted um, a Ministry for Environment in Ghana but finally, they told me that, oh, we want to send somebody from the ministry. So, Paul, we can't send you. We can't, find, we can't give you money to go to Germany for the course. Mm. And then finally, when I contacted um, these, my friends in Germany, they said, oh, when you come, we can't speak the same language. So we want Paul to come. And they said, no, we won't, we won't, we won't support Paul to come to Germany. So we don't have any money. So I was there one day, and I got email from a friend called Polo Millet. Uh, he... Is a um, permaculture coordinator with Lush Cosmetic Company yeah. in UK. So Polo told me that oh, I went to Australian Permaculture Institute website and I saw information about Ghana, and I I found out that you are doing a very great work in Ghana. So I'm going to talk to Lush so that Lush will support you to get your visa to go to Germany for the course. So I was there and they told me that I should go to German, uh, German embassy in Ghana for the visa. I went there, I got a visa. That was my first time of traveling outside the country. Mm. So when I was checking in, when I opened my passport, they told me that you got three days instead of one month. So you can't go to Germany for the course. And I said, wow. So finally, I sent an email to Polo, and Polo told me that, oh, then let me talk to these my friends in Germany. So when he spoke to them, they said, oh, we want to take German embassy in Ghana to court. So I was there. At the airport and they called me that Paul come to the German embassy for your visa because your people in Germany want to take us to court I said I'm very tired I can't come they said no you come right now for your visa so <laughs> I went there so when I went there they canceled the visa and they put another visa in my passport 
And Paulo told me that, Paul, because of that, we are going to change your flight. We want you to take uh, Brazos because we're going to take uh, Kelem. So we have changed your flight, print your ticket, and then fly to Germany for the uh, Eco Village Design Educational course. And then I went. So in Germany, I did about uh, three presentations in Berlin and also the Eco Village, which is called Zebelinden. And then Polo came there and then he picked all my presentation and then he showed it to the large company. Uh, a large company expressed interest about permaculture because that is their first time of hearing about permaculture. So they traveled to Ghana to visit me and then they went to the farms and they saw what I'm doing with the farmers and they asked me my dream. And I told them that oh, my dream is just to get a demonstration site and use it as an institute. But I'm, I'm looking for a very degradable land in Ghana to buy and use it as an institute so that I can reclaim the land. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I can design all the models of permaculture so that people can see all the models, all the designs, so that they can replicate all the designs also into their vicinity. So uh, in a brief about the history, um, this is my history about permaculture project in Ghana. So that, that's really interesting. You didn't say, oh, I want to get a really nice piece of good farmland with water. You said, I want to actually get a piece of degraded land and to do the institute on a very yes. marginal piece. Right. Very good. And that's 30, yes, and that's 30 yes, acres, you said. Yeah. So, um, yes. So it sounds like land degradation is definitely one of the issues you're addressing. What? How would you describe the biggest problems that people are facing there in Ghana that you're addressing with your work? Um, uh, what I would say is that uh, the problem of the people I'm working with them in Ghana is the uh, marketing of their farm produce so that uh, they can get income to support their family and also pay maybe their hospital, hospital expenses. Mm. I'm saying this because, um, you know, they always produce raw materials or maybe raw products. And the demand or maybe the value is very, very low. They can't store it for quite a long time. So that is a major problem with the farmers. So what I'm thinking is that uh, if they can add value, if they add value to whatever crops that they are producing, from there they can get a lot of money. And they are not able to add value. Hmm. So value addition is a big issue hmm. with the people I'm working with them. So if they are able to add value, they can get a good market price. And also they can also store what they are producing also for quite a long time so that they can sell uh, in a season where there is high demand for what crops that they are producing. Yeah. What types of crops uh, are they producing that they're doing uh, value-added products with? Um, uh, some of them are producing vegetables. The vegetables I can mention about, um, let's say, tomatoes, tomatoes and also cabbages. And then also some are also into cereals, cereals like millet, mm -hmm. sorghum, and also maize. Mm -hmm. And then some are also into like tuber crops, yam, and then cassava. 
Yeah, so these are the crops that uh, some of them are doing because it's a, a local diet in Ghana. Everybody in Ghana eat cassava, eat plantain, and then also eat yam. So this is what they are into because um, if maybe we can add value into yam to make maybe yam powder, or maybe if we can get maybe cassava starch, or maybe something else, that can add value to it, and then we can sell and get a lot of money from it. And then about land degradation there, um, what is, what's the story behind land degradation? Like when your rains come and are, are, are areas overgrazed, are they overcropped, are people burning? Like what is the main cause of land degradation and what does it look like there? Um, the main uh, land degradation in Ghana most of times is the illegal mining. Okay. Illegal mining at times causes a lot of land degradation in Ghana and also uh, maybe construction of road. Hmm. Construction of road and they need some gravels and then sand and at times um, they, they, they do a lot of destruction uh, on a piece of land. And then uh, most parts in the northern part of Ghana that one is also bushfires because in the in the northern part of Ghana they are into livestock they 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 rear a lot of animals so they set fire into the bush and then they get new grasses which they can use to feed their animal especially in the dry season so in the northern region the problem is also the uh, bushfires by coming to the central part of Ghana and then the southern part you can see all these problems but mainly is the illegal mining and the present government is also seriously working on that. Is it mostly just mining for the gravel for the roads, you said, or is or are there also other minerals that are being mined? Yeah, minerals. They mined uh, this thing for minerals, gold, bauxite, and the manganese. Oh, okay. What kind of site did you find when you found your, when you, when you described your permaculture site that you found 30 acres of degraded land um, what was the condition of the land when you found it? Um, uh, that place, they were winning gravels there for uh, a highway from Techiman to the northern region, which is called Tamale. That they were winning gravels for the road. So, so it wasn't um, a mining area. It was just a, a gravel winning place for uh building of the road from Techiman to Tamale. Okay. <clears throat> so they'd stripped off the topsoil, and so you, you were just coming on like a very stripped um, piece of ground? Yes. Okay. Yes, taking all the topsoil and then leaving the, 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 the gravels over there. So you need to build the topsoil before you can grow whatever you want to grow over there. Yeah. And what are some of the main strategies that you employed to uh, repair that land and, and build it into the demonstration that you that you've done now? What I did was that uh, you know we also have a a sawmill, a big sawmill in Techiman. So I went to the sawmill and I collected all the sawdust because when I went to the sawmill, I found out that. Uh, the sawdust, they set fire into the sawdust. So I collected all the sawdust. I told them that I need the sawdust. 
So I just put the sawdust and then charcoal. Sawdust and charcoal on the soil. And then uh, I will start putting my seed into the sawdust. Because the sawdust will try and absorb more moisture and also enhance the soil microorganisms. And then after that, it also built a very nice topsoil for me. So I started using the sawdust, taking all the sawdust and then putting the sawdust on the top of the soil. And I was also using the sawdust also for growing mushrooms. So this is the strategy I put in place. So the sawdust will be there also getting mushrooms and then using the waste also for fertilizer to improve the soil fertility. And then do you do you have heavy rainfall there? Yes. In Ghana, we have heavy rainfall. Heavy, heavy rainfall in Ghana. Right. So did you have to do, like, water harvesting to, you know, stop erosion? Or, um, or did just putting down sawdust create a big spongy soil so you didn't have uh, runoff anymore? No. When I went to the land... I did what we call feasibility studies. Uh, with the feasibility studies, what I did is that uh, I look at the uh, where the water runs through the land. And then after that, I did what we call um, a construction of dams. And after the construction of dams, I also did what we call check dams. Because when you do check dams, you control the erosion. And then the water will flow gently into the dam that uh, you have been constructed. So I was able to harvest enough water in the land just to recharge the underground water. So where I have maybe like a parcel of the land, then I just put the sawdust, let's say maybe two feet high of the sawdust. And then what I also did is that uh, uh, I also used some of the grasses called um, citronera and also vetiver grass is also very good to check erosion i also use that one as a, a check dams just to control the flow of the runoff water so that i can catch enough water and then recharge the underground water in the land hmm. and then you have a well or something that you access the water from uh, when i went to the land uh, I, I have constructed like um three boreholes, which I didn't get water. But with the check dams and then the dams I constructed, now I have been able to get water from the borehole now, mm -hmm. meaning that the water table is coming up. Yeah. Water table is coming up. So in the beginning, it was very, very difficult. I tried about three boreholes. I didn't get water. By now, just last year, I got water from the borehole. So, so that's that's really uh, good evidence right there because you drilled the boreholes and you had no water, and then you put the check. How many years yes, after putting the check dams in did your water table rise up where you have water in the boreholes now? It's about it's about let's say two and a half years. Wow, yeah, there you go. So you restored your water table in just two and a half years with check dams and uh, soil improvement. That's pretty yes, impressive. please. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty great. 
Yes. Yeah. And so I guess the, <laughs> the, the farmers can learn. The next question I was going to say, I was going to say is, you know, how have you seen the effects of your work on people's livelihoods, the people that are coming to your institute, the rural farmers, you know, how, what, what are they, they seeing there and how, how are they using the information to improve their own lives? Uh, what I will say is that uh, when you come to the institute, the system in the institute is uh, using rene renewable natural resources. So I have solar on the side, and then the, I, I also use the solar to uh, power all the machines I'm using over there. And again, I also selected a crop called Moringa. Moringa is also a superfood plant, which grows everywhere in Ghana. And it can also grow on a very degradable land. And it's also very nutritious. So I chose that plant. So with that plant, I, I have been able to come up with a different kinds of product from the Moringa. So where the communities, the farmers who are working with them, they can use Moringa for making soap, making cream, making ointment, making shampoo. And also, um, I also buy Moringa from the Moringa seeds for Moringa oil and also Moringa leaves for Moringa powder, which I do a lot of export. Hmm. And I export this product into to UK, USA, Switzerland, South Africa, and also Namibia. So I have a very big market for this product called Moringa. So I have about 10,000 farmers who are into Moringa, and they are in the rural communities, which I'm supporting them, buying the Moringa from them, adding value to the Moringa, getting Moringa products like cosmetics and also oil, and also for Moringa fertilizer outside the country so I can get enough money to support the farmers. And apart from that, I'm also into essential oil, the essential oil from lemongrass and then citronera, mm. and also Elan Elan. There's another plant we call Elan Elan. Mm. So I have a very simple distiller machine, which I distill oil from all these plants, which we use it for cosmetics. And again, I'm also into beekeeping. You know, beekeeping, I have a small forest and we have also 3,000 farmers who are also into beekeeping. And we also buy the honey from them. We sell locally in Ghana. And we also export some of the honey outside the Ghana. So actually, when you come to the institute, these are the strategies in place. And also, I'm also into entomology uh, using uh, black soldier flies. I rare black soldier flies from uh, household waste. And then from there, I use the larvae to feed chicken. And then, uh, you know, the larvae is also full of protein. So I, I, I try as much as possible to rear these black soldier flies, get the larvae, and then get the larvae to feed the chicken. And also, the chicken also produce eggs and the meat. And the communities are also learning this strategy. And after that, the land, when the land is very degradable, you can build the soil fertility. Because we put more grass over there, the chicken will just defecate on it, they scratch on it, 
and then break down all the grass and then build a very nice topsoil. And then I'll rotate the chicken and then grow vegetables on that part or portion. And then I'll move them into another portion of the land. So these are what I'm doing in the institute. And also we have a small tree nursery project. We raise seedlings and then some farmers buy from us. And then we also sell some of the seedlings. And also we do a lot of training about permaculture design course on site so that uh, we can also get income and also spread the, the concept about permaculture in Ghana and also outside Ghana. So you have 10,000 farmers bringing you Moringa? And what is your, what, what kind of... Yes. And, and then you have 3,000 farmers bringing you honey. And then you have, I guess, yes. many other farmers bringing you citronella, lemongrass, and then that other herb you mentioned. Yes. You must have a lot of people that you're employing that are working in these processing facilities. What Paint, paint us a picture of what that looks like. Um, looking at the workers, um, I have um, 35 workers, permanent workers, who are 35 workers. Mm. But um, at times I can also employ casuals like maybe 10 workers in addition. So in total, the workers will be like uh, 45 workers. And then you have a, I mean, what are what what types of building facilities and and equipment um, are you using to do this processing? Uh, with the processing for the oil, I have an um, oil press machine which uses solar. I bought it from Germany, hmm. and also I also have a, a grinder. That one also, it was also fabricated in Ghana, which we used to grind the leaves into powder. And apart from that one, um, the distiller machine, that one is also fabricated in Ghana, that we used to distill the essential oil. Okay. So you have like um, building facilities and you have basically farmers are trucking their raw, you know, <clears throat> bulk moringa leaves to you and then you're grinding them into powder you're packaging them up and you are just shipping them onto the international and the local market is that about accurate of how you're doing yes it? okay wow so uh, yeah so you're you're, yes. you're like a a a central uh like a central hub of of distribution processing yes. and 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 you have tens of thousands of people whose livelihoods are now tied into your system. Yes, please. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah. And then let me talk a little bit about the facilities on site. Yeah. Because my facilities can, let's say, accommodate roughly 60 participants. And uh, looking at the buildings over there, we have a, a bamboo building, and then we also have mud houses. And we also have a recycling plastic bottles also for buildings. Hmm. So these are the buildings I have in place just to for, for people for accommodation and also for venue for training and other things. Hmm. And how many people would you say in a year come for training? Uh, per training in a year... Uh, I can host around like uh, 300 people for the training for a year. 300 people. Yeah. 
so so how it seems like you're really having a widespread impact because farmers are not only bringing goods to you they're also being trained and even just seeing what you're doing when they're bringing goods i'm sure that you give a lot of tours of your place when you go out from your site and you go to uh other villages and and places where farmers are um people that are interacting with you and they're growing and they're bringing things to you are you seeing really a, a tangible um improvement in people's livelihoods now from from your work yes uh, i would say yes because um some of the farmers now can put up their own houses from the income that they are getting from me and then some of them can also take care of their school children for them to go to school to have a very higher education level um and also maybe like um looking at the food issue you know they can get like a, a three square meals a day for 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 their family so i can see that uh, there is a very strong impact uh, with the farmers that i'm working with them yeah because what was their what what were their conditions like before they started working with you some of them uh, because uh, when they started working with me, uh, what I found out is that uh, uh, even some of them, for them to take their children to higher educational level was very difficult for them. And again, also looking at some of the farmers, even for them to get very nutritious food, very a balanced diet, I would say balanced diet, it's also a big problem because now, they can intercrop their crop with uh, like maybe fruit trees or maybe vegetable uh, and also other things so that they can eat a balanced diet. And again, um, some of them were also staying in a family house. They were staying in a family house. You know, staying in a family house is not easy. So now they can also look for a piece of land and also put up their own apartment where they can stay with their family, where at times it also resolves a lot of issues in the house. So this is what I can see that uh, some of them, some of the families, because in the beginning they were not having all these things. They will be staying in the family house. And there's always a lot of problems in the family house. In the, in the, before we started with them, they were having all these issues. So now they can get their own piece of land and then put, on, put up their own apartment. So you have these these farmers who are ready to be out on their own, yet they're still living with their parents and a lot of people all kind of packed, you know, tightly living in a house together. And so it's really helped their social climate as well by giving them a little bit more space. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. So, you know, Ghana is a extended family, so we have a very wide family issues in Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, what advice do you have for people who are listening to this here, who, you know, from all different countries and such, who want to generate income using permaculture, um, whether they are farmers themselves or people that want to uh, 
help improve the livelihoods of their communities. What advice would you have for people um, from what you've learned from your projects? Advice I have for people is that, uh, in fact, uh, looking at the whole world, um, there is no boundaries. So whatever we are doing in the world, we have to be very careful. And also in the permaculture system, we have three ethics. We have to care for the people. Because um, if you are not caring for the people, there is no any progress. You can't move forward. You can't move forward. And again, what I have seen is that uh, there have been a distraction, a distraction in our environment, distraction on our farmland, distraction on also our um, health. Because there are a lot of chemicals coming to Africa, and we don't know where these chemicals are coming from. And these chemicals are killing a lot of people in Africa, day in and day out. Even just a minute, somebody dies because of the chemicals. Because our soils are polluted, our waters are polluted, our food are polluted. So what I'm telling people that we have to be very careful about using a lot of chemicals on our land. We have to go organic. And again, what I have seen is that uh, in a permaculture system, we have to try as, as much as possible to recycle our waste. Because if we have waste and we are able to recycle them, and most especially degradable and non-degradable waste, if we are able to recycle them, I will tell you that there is no pollution. In a permaculture system, there is no pollution. And when there is pollution, as I said, the whole world is just like a, a, a one village. The pollution can spread into any part of Ghana, in any part of uh, Africa, in any part of the whole world. So we have to reduce our waste and also try as much as possible to sustain our income. If we are able to become uh, financially sustainable, that is where... I think maybe we can say that we are we are we are because if we are not able to generate income from where we are and always we source more money from somewhere which is not going to sustain us I tell you that our future is not bright we need to sustain our income we need to generate our own income and then whatever we get we also need to also try as much as possible to use some of the, our resources into the farmers or the people or the community members that we are working with them so that maybe we can also bring them up. So this is uh, an advice I want to give to people. I want to give to people in Ghana, people in Africa, and people in the whole world so that let's embrace permaculture. When we embrace permaculture, our color cannot separate us. Our culture cannot separate us. So we are one people. So there's no need division. So the language, the language cannot also separate us. We are one people in the whole world. Wow. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And uh, it sounds like you're doing really good work and you're having a really wide reaching impact. I mean, just at the numbers Thank of people you. even that are working with you. Have you 
have you gotten recognition from the local or state government there recognizing the impact that you're having? Um, my, 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 that is um, a problem in Ghana. Because what I have seen is that uh, recently uh, I got funding from uh, present government to do advocacy on permaculture businesses. That is a very great opportunity for me because I can see that now the state government is now becoming aware of the impact of permaculture in the society. So they have given me one year advocacy program so that uh, the government in Ghana can embrace the permaculture uh, businesses in Ghana. So this is very great opportunity. So now government is becoming aware of it. So I'm very, very interested to get this opportunity to do this advocacy in Ghana. So they're basically funding you to do like a public education and promotion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, yes. About my culture. Yeah. And now I know that. I mean, I talked to um, Aaron Sakaku, and I know that um, you are promoting, you know, these other projects with Moringa on school grounds. And do you want to talk about some of the other ways that uh, your organizations are spreading? Uh, permaculture throughout Ghana? Uh, yes. Um, looking at the permaculture in schools, uh, what the organization is doing is that uh, we go to the school and then we set up a, a permaculture school garden with the school children and also with the teachers, most especially the agricultural teachers and also the science teachers. And then uh, from there, we also give the children uh, like um, a handout, something on environment, something on maybe a sanitation, something on food and nutrition, so that the children will study and then they will come to the institute. So when they come to the institute, we organize a quiz for them. And I, at the end of the quiz, we also give them award, like maybe we give them books, we give them football jerseys, we give them football, and also we give them pens and pencils just to encourage them also to learn the permaculture in schools. So this is what I'm doing in the schools, but we also use some of the food from the garden also to feed the school children so that uh, they can also get healthy food in the school and they can also educate their parents so when they go back to the house. What percentage would you say of the people are practicing permaculture or sustainable agriculture versus chemical agriculture? Uh, what I would say is that uh, that the people are practicing permaculture is that, uh, you know, permaculture uh, is not like monoculture system, monoculture system where you grow single crop. And also you don't need to plow the land. But now what I have seen is that uh, on a piece of land, People are growing diverse crops, diverse crops on the land. And people also try as much as possible also to do maybe what something you call composting on the land. So all the degradable materials, they try as much as possible to compost them. Some also grow like a cover cropping. 
you know, when you grow cover cropping or you mulch, when you mulch the land, you retain the soil uh, temperature or, or soil uh, water infiltration. So a lot of them, a lot of the farmers are into this kind of step. And also uh, cultivating local crops. Most of them are into local crops. They are into local crops because what we know is that the local crops can adapt into the environment and they don't need a lot of chemicals at all. And these local crops also are also resistant to uh, insects and pests on the farm. So these are what the farmers are actually doing. So you can see that they are practicing permaculture. And also looking at their backyard, some of them are doing backyard garden. They are doing backyard garden to grow their own vegetables instead of going to the market and buy them. They grow their own vegetable for their home consumption. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm curious about, um, like, would you say that, you know, how, how many people are doing um, degenerative, like destructive agriculture using chemicals versus people there that are doing regenerative agriculture, whether it's permaculture, organic, you know, like are half the people doing regenerative agriculture? Would you say, you know, 80% of the people are doing regenerative agriculture? Like what's, I'm just, I'm just trying to get a sense of how, how far you are from having a, a totally organic country. Uh, what I would say is that uh, if I want to talk about it in percentage, uh, what I would say is that uh, uh, about, say, 60% of the people in Ghana are into uh, this conventional system of farming where they use a lot of chemicals because uh, government is also promoting it. And again, when you look at, uh, let's say, maybe, um, uh, say, maybe 20%, 20% are also into this um, permaculture system. Mm. And also the, the, the 20% is also into like this organic because at times they don't know whether they should go fully organic or maybe they should try some chemicals. Mm. But they try both. And then finally, so maybe the chemicals... We have some problems over here, but looking at the organic way, maybe we also we are also okay, because like twenty percent are also into that. Hmm. And looking at the permaculture way, we also have like twenty percent, and the sixty percent is also into this uh, conventional system of farming in Ghana. Yeah, I would say that's pretty good. I mean, being here, I live in an agricultural region in the United States, and if we just look at the amount of land that is under conventional versus organic management where I am, it's way, I would say organic is way less than 20%. And I live in a pretty agriculturally progressive area. So I think that that's actually uh, impressive. Now, are you, do you see the full transition of Ghana? I mean, I know we have countries like, what is it, Bhutan, that's declared themselves 100% organic. You know, do you see with your work and with the with the kind of obvious benefits, economic benefits that are happening, and I assume that there's health benefits as well for people, do you see uh, a, a hopeful future where you could actually transition the entire country into a organic or permaculture 
um, type of agricultural systems? Yes, um, I see um, a very, a very, very brighter future because uh, I can cite a lot of um, examples in Ghana. Because in Ghana, where they have been using a lot of chemicals, now they can farm over there. So people in this community are aware of the effect of these chemicals. And they are chasing for this organic. They are chasing for permaculture way of farming. So these people in this community, when you tell them that uh, the conventional system of farming is not sustainable, they will embrace it. And they are even already embracing it. So I can see that there's a bright future because um, there are a lot of um, testimonies about the effects of these chemicals in Ghana. And people are aware of it. Even uh, looking at the, uh, let's say, maybe mushrooms. You know, we're having mushrooms. Mushrooms, we get mushrooms everywhere. But now because of these chemicals, we can't get mushrooms. And people are aware of it. Like snails. Snails, for instance. You can get snails everywhere. Because of these chemicals, you can't get snails. And then when you grow your crops, the crops, the seeds can stay in the soil and the seed can come up. Because of these chemicals, the seeds are dying. You can't get the seeds. And also, uh, 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 animal habitat. Animal habitat. And they are all dying. People are aware of it. So people are afraid of use these chemicals. Then they know the cause. They know the effect. So I can tell you that there's a brighter future because people are now changing from this conventional system into permaculture or organic farming in Ghana. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're, you're painting a little bit of a picture like the people that are doing permaculture are becoming more financially prosperous and the people that are doing chemical agriculture, it sounds like they're becoming more impoverished. Is that... Do you think that's accurate? Yes, please. Yes, please. Because um, uh, I I know a farmer who is into a conventional system of farming. But at the end of the season, the farmer will take the cost of the chemicals, like maybe insecticide, chemical fertilizer, and the cost is not cheap. The person will take all these things. And then finally, the, person, the farmer will get nothing from his farm. Hmm. But the one who is not buying, like maybe insecticide, not buying uh, chemical fertilizer, finally can also get a very high margin of income. Hmm. And finally, too, you restore, you restore your land. You just restore your land. But the one who is using the uh, chemical fertilizer also destroy the land. But you can't stay on the land permanently unless maybe you move to another land. And because of the, let's say, increase in the population and also urbanization, land is also becoming scarce. So if you are not able to improve a small land that you are staying on it, on it to depend upon the land permanently, where are you going? No food for you, no food for the family, and there's no job for you. So people are now aware of all these things and they want to shift into organic farming and also permaculture way of farming. Yeah. 
what what's the main obstacle at this point? I mean, is it just education? Or I know here, if you're going to transition from uh, chemical agriculture to organic, you're going to have a couple years where your yields are going to drop off. And it's, you know, you actually have to have money saved up to transition to organic um, because you're going to have a lower income those first couple years before you build up your soil fertility. What are, what are the obstacles there for people? I mean, is it similar or are there other things that are getting in the way of people transitioning? Uh, what I would say is that, uh, you know, uh, part of the problem comes from the government because uh, the gov- government is promoting all these kind of uh, chemicals and also fertilizer. And then what I have seen is that uh, we need to do more sensitization, create more awareness of all these things. And then uh, looking at this advocacy uh, um, funding that uh, Ghana Permaculture Institute received recently, you know, we'll go to the uh, um, uh, the chief of staff in Ghana, and maybe go to the uh, people, the, the 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 ministers, and talk to them. That there is also another way out. So there is no need for us to promote only this uh, conventional way of farming, but there is another way. And again, what I have seen is that uh, if there is more education, if there is more sensitization, if we create more awareness, I know people will become aware of it. Because in Ghana, they will tell you that uh, the farmer extension ratio is very small. Like looking at maybe one extension officer is to, to let's say, maybe 100 farmers. And these extension officers, they are promoting conventional system of farming, but not organic, not permaculture. So we need to carry on this education to the Ministry of Food and Agriculture. So with this advocacy, we have involved Minister of Food and Agriculture and also uh, Forestry, Minister of uh, Forestry. We have also involved them so that we'll go there and also sensitize them. That there's also another way. Because people don't know. People don't know their strategy. So I think where there are obstacles is where we are trying to address them with this advocacy uh, from this funding that we have received so far, so I know there is a a big <laughs> a big uh, a good penetration, so that people can become aware of what is going on. Yeah, I imagine that there's people that are making a lot of money, whether it's multinational companies, but also local people that are making a lot of money on yes. selling chemicals, and I'm sure that they don't have a great interest yes. in seeing less people using chemicals. Yes. So, yeah, I'm sure that's yes. Yes, yeah. I, I can I can tell you a very a very short scenario in Ghana about maize. You know, we got a big problem about uh, armyworm. You know, Wait, where about, where what? comes from armyworm in Ghana? Armyworm, armyworm. It's a worm. A web. Yes, it's a worm. It's a worm. They eat all the oh, the leaves okay, of the worm. maize. Yeah, and you're talking uh, about maize, worm, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, maize. Okay. And this year. All the maize farmers, but you know what we found out that the local maize, armyworms cannot attack local maize. Mm. But all the 
um, foreign seed, like exotic ones, armyworms can destroy all of them. And the farmers are crying. So everybody, every farmer in Ghana is trying to run away from this uh, exotic seed and then go for uh, local maces in Ghana now. Because they know that armyworms cannot attack the local maize. Hmm. And the local maize are very resistant to the armyworm uh, problem in Ghana. Yeah, there you go. That's kind of like nature is showing people. Right? <laughs> you don't have to convince anybody. You're like, look, yeah, yeah. It's funny, although you although you did get you must have gotten maize from uh, from America at some point. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. But yeah. you've traveled to Germany, right? You've gone to other places and seen <clears throat> the way that other people think. Are there are there special, you know, understandings or teachings or things in the culture there or the way that people communicate in Africa that you feel like other people from around the world could really learn from? Yes, I, I, I can say that uh, there is um, um, a lot of people uh, outside Ghana or let's say maybe in Europe who are even learning from these uh, permaculture strategies in uh, Africa. Even uh, last year, I got a, a diploma from Permaculture Academy in Germany. I got an award from Permaculture Academy. I did a presentation about the uh, permaculture system I have put in place in Ghana crying they started crying because they started crying because um, looking at this kind of degradable land which I have been able to reclaim it and there is an abundance coming from this land so they started crying they started crying and what I know is that I know permaculture you can practice permaculture in any environment so like when I'm in Europe I always understand their culture and also Africa I also understand their culture so um, the system of permaculture need to move along with the culture the people in one in a particular area and I have also seen a different permaculture designs in different uh, location in in a different uh, 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 continent so I can say that uh, is 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 it's, it's, it's almost um, 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 uh, uh, people are, are really practicing it. People are really practicing it in any in, in, in part, in, 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 a, in a, any location of uh, maybe the world. People are, are really practicing the permaculture in a way I think that they should do it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Well, how can people that are listening learn more about your work or help contribute to your projects, or how can they get in touch with you um, if they choose to from hearing you here? Uh, what I can say is that uh, I need to reach more people in Ghana. And then... Uh, Looking at, let's say, maybe um, the resource base 
of the institutes i can say that uh, it's not up to uh, the point where maybe i can reach maybe thousands of people in ghana so you know it can be like uh, maybe dissemination of the information on the website or maybe writing more articles or maybe uh, funding support or maybe like i'm um, trying to maybe have an interview like what i'm doing with you mm -hmm. so that maybe we can maybe broadcast this information to the people all over the world so i know through this people can hear our voice and then people can also adapt the permaculture strategies do you have a a website or a contact email address or anything you want to share where people can see more about your work and get in touch with you yes i i can send you my website I can send you my website that people can go there and then people can see the work that we are doing and also all my contact informations are also on the website. Okay, that's great. Um, well, hey, thank you so much, Paul. I really, it's been really, really interesting um, to hear about your good work there and I really appreciate you. I'm sure you have a lot going on so just take the time out to talk to me. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Also for your interview. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earth Repair Radio. I'm Andrew Millison, and you can find more episodes on earthrepairradio.com.